Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time for another episode of The Gag and Poet in conversation as we get through this period without football, although... It is getting closer with Premier League teams returning to training this week. We're going to discuss all that and a lot more. David Wiener with you once again, joined by Michael Bridges. And this week, we welcome Ash Westwood back to the podcast. Lots to talk about. Let's get stuck in. Bridgie, back again for another conversation via Zoom. How are you, mate? I'm very well, Dave, mate. Um, great to see you again and great to have Ash back on because there's a hell of a lot of football going on in the world and there's a hell of a lot of talk of will football return in certain parts of the world and especially in England at this moment in time. So Ash has joined us. It's great to have him and it's great to be back, Dave, but I wouldn't want to be anywhere else in the world apart from Australia at this moment in time because there was still a lot of issues going on, uh, especially back home in England with businesses and I think our restrictions are easing here. So we, we, you know, me and the family have had a little bit of an adventure out this week. We've been to a restaurant, our local restaurant, which we haven't been to in a long time. So that was very, very refreshing, mate. So, but nothing better than the Gagan part. Oh, absolutely. Nothing better. I love it. I love it. You speak the truth every week, Bridgie. I love it. <laughs> You're right. We are very lucky to be here. And that's going to be part of a lot of what we talk about coming up, about how... Uh, football is going to return and revive in England. But as you said, it's great to have Ash with us for the first time in a, in a little while. Ash, how are you holding up? And uh, very glad to have you here in Australia because um, with your commitments flying to India to cover the Champions League, we almost missed you. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think I got back here by the skin of my teeth, to be honest. I, uh, I went to India, I think, I can't remember which round of Champions League. I know I, I flew back on February the, uh, the, the 28th. Um, and I was due to go back mid-March. Obviously, the mid-March one got pulled because of uh, obviously the situation, um, and he ended up uh, staying here. So it's been a it's been strange for me. I've been here now since February twenty eighth. I've not moved. Um, obviously, we we can't do too much work. There's been no football. Not been able to fly to India. I think India uh, visas, like business visas and and work visas and whatnot, has been suspended. India are in the, the fifth or sixth week of of like full lockdown where. Uh, knowing India, they, they're pretty strict. Um, I think people at one stage weren't even allowed out on the streets. Um, you couldn't even get food or whatnot. Food was getting delivered. So it's been been strange times over there. But obviously, the football's starting now. Um, obviously, we've all got Zoom, which is which is how, obviously how we're doing this. Um, and things are starting to, to resume. So hopefully, uh, it all starts quickly. But I'm not quite sure about the travel. So it's just uh, one of those... I think like the world that nobody knows what's coming. Everyone's talking about what ifs, but we'll have to see what happens. Well, in terms of what's going to happen, the latest out of England, um, and which I want to talk to both of you about, is that Premier League clubs are back in training, non-contact. We've seen the images. Some players look really happy to be back. There's others who are clearly concerned still, concerned for their family. We saw N'Golo Kante Overnight for Chelsea, he was given a compassionate reasons not to return because he's got his concerns. And that's, they say that's not going to be held against anyone who chooses to do so. Troy Deeney at Watford as well. And they're saying next week it could be full contact again um, with an eye, give or take, on June 12. Your reaction to the latest developments, Bridgie? Well, Dave, what I will say, you couldn't have had two completely different players on this podcast because if it was non-contact and I was going back to training now, that would suit me down to the ground, mate. Give me a ball. Stay away from me. I never made a challenge in my life. <laughs> Ash, however, would be having a nightmare because he just loved munching people. And there was players like, you know, Kevin Ball that I played with, great great tacklers, very physical, loved a battle. Uh, that that would be a very, very hard thing to do going back into train, a training environment where it's going to be non-contact because you you know, you're, you're training, you're meant to train the way you want to play on the game at the weekend and the intensity levels, the contact. 
So to, to try and put restraints on certain people like that, well, on everybody basically, we would put that restraints on the player if they were just coming back from injury and you were just feeding them in, you'd have them as a bouncer, so there was non-contact with them, but things still happen. So I think that's, that, that's very hard for the players to handle and for the staff to get used to because it's, it's completely new training aspects that you're going to have to come up with in restraints. Um, and like you say, the sooner they can get back to full physical contact in the training environment, that's when you're going to see the levels increase because that's how you play the game. And it's but it's got to be taken one step at a time. We've seen what the Bundesliga are doing. They're now under this. They're now under the spotlight as the K League has been. What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? The Premier League will be all over this, as as most of the leagues that are trying to come back will be. What is working? What can we do better? How can we improve just so we can get back to the, the full physical contact in training, ready for their matches to be full on? Ash, the Bundesliga, the eye of the world has been on the Bundesliga. They got their act sorted fairly quickly and fairly uh, organised. The Premier League, we know that the conditions of society are still frightful in Europe. But the Premier League, even though they say June 12, there seems to be so much up in the air for that to even be possible. And it's not that long away. What's your read on the way they're trying to react to the situation and scale up the competition um, when there's still such uncertainty? Yeah, I think, I think that's the word, uh, uncertainty. Nobody even, even knows what's going on, to be fair, still. Um, I think... You've got like, I spoke to Sean Dice yesterday that Burnley are due back actually to train today um, for the first time. Obviously, there was the one that his assistant, Ian Warren, has, has been, uh, you know, tested positive for coronavirus. They're saying that they're going back. They've still obviously got this optimistic view of starting on, on June 12. Um, but it, it is uncertain. Um, you know, I've spoke to a lad who's, who's the sporting director of, of the championship club, West Bromwich Albion. Um, and they, they still, you know, they're supposed to go back next week. Everything in the championship has been projected to go a week after the Premier League. But there's, there's so much uncertainty. The Premier League still haven't decided whether they do follow the Bundesliga model. The Bundesliga model is all, I think all the players and are put in hotels, uh, maybe a little bit like the NRL here. So all, all the, the Bundesliga players go into hotels, but... There's a lot of confusion in, in the championship of who's going to fund that. Um, you know, a few clubs that are, you know, say mid-table, know that to put all the players into the hotels, it's going to cost probably about £300,000 till the end of the season. You know, who's going to fund that? The COVID testing kit money that they've got to get. That's, I think that's about 200000 They're saying 150000 200000 for the for the testing kits. Yeah, so, you, you know, if you're a, a mid-table club, you know, you look at, at clubs like Barnsley, Hull, I know whole the, one of the clubs that have applied to the league to say we want to avoid this season, they're fourth from bottom. So obviously they've got their own agenda. You know why spend five hundred thousand pounds? You know a, mi a million dollars if you like, on all this this COVID testing, all this putting players in hotels. So it, it's still really really uncertain, and there's lots of arguing, lots of lots of squibbling going on. So I'm I'm still not quite sure that everything's going to get up and running. Can I ask just when it comes to, because one thing we've spoken about in, in the last few weeks, Bridgie, is, is if one person in a club gets it, the kit man, a player, a family member, who, whatever it may be, what ripple effect that has then on the team, on the fixtures and so on. And here you mentioned Burnley where their assistant has tested positive in that first initial huge testing across the competition. So what ripple effect does that have on Burnley specifically, and Sean Dyche, and the way they set up, how, how has that impacted them? I mean, what, what I think that the first and foremost is everything's like numbers are cut. So, you know, you, you, you're going to have a, a squad of, of 25 players. Your staff members are cut down because everyone has to be like, you know, uh, registered to come into the building. Everybody has to be tested weekly. Um, so when when you, when you do lose one or two members of, of your staff or your players, it does affect you, you greatly. Um, it, it, if, unless you're fighting for something at the top or if you're at the bottom and you're going to get relegated, most of the, I think the general view in England is they just want the season to end. Um, you know, they they want it maybe to be, be null and void, come back next season. It, it, it's really strange times, but everything still is quite uh, hypothetical uh, in theory. There's no like clear direction. Nobody really knows like what to do and how to handle it. 
And this is why I was saying that everybody's learning from the K-League and what the Bundesliga are doing because the I think one of the rules and regulations, correct if I'm wrong, Dave, I know you're bang on top of all this stuff, that the, if anybody, player or staff-wise in the K-League is found to have a test of positive for COVID, then it's a two-week isolation for them and the whole team. So you can't play for two weeks' time. So I don't know what the... I haven't read or seen anything from the UK regarding that policy with, with Burnley. Haven't Are they going to have to self-isolate as a team now or what? Are they going to carry on as normal and just keep testing and testing and testing? Um, but again, it comes back to the things. When games are going to start up again, it could it could spread. It could spread like, like wildfire again. So I, I wouldn't like to be the person making the decisions at the top. Now, the K-League obviously are just starting their season and England are trying to finish the season off. But... Where's that two-week window? If you do have to go into self-isolation, they've got to, they've got to, they've got to take all this into consideration. The K-League have dropped the numbers back for their games, just in case they do need teams to go into isolation. Um, where does the Premier League and the other leagues around Europe sit? I don't know. I think it's a very, very tough one. Yeah, you had that, that. You answered the question exactly. The K-League gave themselves that grace period where, if the um, Premier League is trying to like cram for an exam, to use an analogy, get the games done in a certain amount of time. If there's a domino or a consequence, I don't quite know how they hit any future deadlines. So do we see June 12? What has to happen in your estimation for it to happen? What's the word on the street from the people you've spoken about that are back home? I'll start with you, Ash, in terms of the realities of, of, of football life resuming in the top flight. I mean, they're obviously optimistic. Um, you know, they, they, plans are there to start off but I think everyone is just because of the new cases that keep arising obviously we've seen that the six cases now in England I think it was it uh three was it three at Chelsea or, or Watford, Watford. Watford yeah um obviously you've got players now coming out speaking that they don't want to do this they don't want to put the farmers at risk so I yeah. think that they're planning ahead with it with the optimism but I think deep down everybody really is thinking this isn't going to happen um you know we we, we can't see it happening because it's so, you know, it's so hard to try and get everything off the ground. Um, they're, they're planning along with the training. Obviously, we've seen clubs are now starting to go back. But I think deep down that the, the secret underlying feeling is we can't see going ahead, um, which would be, you know, well, it's unthinkable, really. Um, you know, nobody knows. And that's what's happening. I, I spoke to uh, Michael Appleton, who I was assistant to. He, he's the, the manager of Lincoln. I think it was only two days ago they had um, like a three-hour Zoom meeting on online where all League One, all League Two football managers were on a Zoom call. The, the chief execs were on the Zoom call. And he said it was just a conversation of three hours where it was just all hypothetical. Because in theory, you're just talking about what ifs. And that's that's the big thing. Everything is just what if. You know, we'll do this. Let's Let's plan for this. But it's kind of like a, a meeting about a meeting because you, you don't know what's going on. And if you're... The, the one I'm looking at, Dave, yeah. is when I put myself, I know we're in a, in a place in, in the world where we don't have to make that decision at this moment in time. The I put myself back in that player's situation. Yeah, that's what I'm and around. I'm yeah. going in. Like what Ash is saying, with the, do they go into hotels? Do they go and do that? Some of the clubs obviously can't afford to do that. So we, we don't know what players have got family members that are vulnerable mm. to catching this that could cause death. Mm. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? So they're, they're going to go into a training environment and then they've got to go back with their family. They might have kids that are going through things or have had things in the past and the players don't want to put their families in that kind of situation because they don't want to be held with the guilt of being the one that passed on the, the transmitted disease. There's, um, so, there's so many different uh, permutations. I think Barnsley haven't really got an owner at the minute. Um, you know, Millwall... I think Millwall are ninth or something in the championship. I think Millwall have applied to the league to say... Um, Whoever gets promoted has to pay for the testing kits. You know, that's what their strong view is. So there's so many, you know, different, you know, wrangles. People are saying, let's do this, let's do that. It's just, it's just really hard, I think, um, with, with all, because there's so much money involved and some clubs haven't got money, some clubs have. It, it, everyone's just still arguing at the minute. Nobody's got like a clear directive. No one's you know, singing off the same hymn sheet. And, and there's so much turmoil. So you I mean, mentioned, oh, sorry, go on, Bridgie. I'm going to say that's why, you know, with the voting for Division 2, the main factor for them going null and void was the clubs had basically said, listen, we can't afford the the, co the amount of money for the testing kits. Mm. 
and the money that's going to have to be spent. So let's just scrap it here and now. And obviously, there's going to be lawyers and things battling with what's going on. But they've they've come up with it, Dave. So that they've sorted it out. Now we'll go waiting for the information from Division One and the Championship rolling in, and then we're waiting for the major announcement from um, from the Premier League. But yeah. I look now at the Scottish the Scottish Premier League as well. They've made that decision of crown the crown Celtic champions. Mm-hmm. They've relegated um, Hawks. That's- and I remember about, I think we must have done a podcast here about five or six weeks ago, and I was saying the, the owner of Hearts the, has just said, basically, if anything happens, believe you me, I'll be putting the rest of my wealth into the lawyers to fight this. Hmm. And, you know, so I, I don't know, again, where, where the winning situation is from that. Yeah, you, well, look, let's continue on the lower leagues that you've brought up, Ash, because you're, you're dead right about League 2, um, saying, listen, we can't afford this. I saw a figure of four million pound of what it's costing the Premier League to test the players. They simply can't afford that as they go down. So they've taken that decision arbitrarily. The three teams will get promoted. The playoffs will still happen on a um, points per game basis as as it stood. So Exeter, Cheltenham, Colchester, Northampton will contest the playoffs. Crew, Swindon, and Plymouth will go up. Relegation to the um, to the to the leagues below. Frozen, it's not going to happen. Um, so, Stevenage, it's their lucky day. But as you mentioned, League One is still all over the shop because some can afford it. They can see the lights of the championship promotion in front of them. They know that teams are coming up from League Two. So, why? what's that going to happen with relegation? How does that get solved? Because when you're talking about finances in the Premier League, you're talking almost about almost a greed level. There's so much money involved that they can taste the opportunity cost here. At League One level, you're talking survival almost. Yeah, I think uh, League One's the one. I I mean, everybody is kind of knows. It's not been official yet, but League One is is scrapped. That's the word in England. Um, Everyone who's involved in League One knows that it's been scrapped. Um, What's happening is everyone's arguing about who gets put up or or who gets put down. Um, I know... The, I think the Peterborough chairman, uh, Darren McCantity, is one that's kind of leading the chase, that, that's got a few other people involved. Uh, when you look at the table, it's so tight, and that's why everybody's arguing. I think League Two is a little bit more simple um, because you can kind of see the top three. That, mm. that's, there's a little bit of a point gap. But when, when you look at League One, you know, you look at Rotherham, I think they've got 62 points, and then all the way down to Wickham, who are outside the players, so have got 59 points. Um, and, and that's where all the, the scribbling starting um, and they can't decide. And that's what that uh, Zoom call was about the other day was to try and get everybody agreeing to a certain formula. And, and, and nobody's agreeing because everyone's saying that we can do this, we can do that. Um, and, you know, if the people are pushing to finish the season off, um, but then there's other clubs that are mid-table. I think, you know, if you look at an average club in League One, who get maybe ten, eleven thousand fans? They kind of make hundred thousand pounds, so two hundred thousand dollars per game from gate receipts. Mm. But obviously, if they do start, it's behind closed doors. Mm. So just to to finish the last five or six games off, they're going to lose, you know, a, a million dollars if you like from from not having those games, which which seriously impacts your budgets. You know, clubs in in League One, an average budget is is probably about two and a half, you know, three million dollars. Uh, sorry, three million pounds is is an average budget. So when you're knocking five hundred thousand pounds off your budget from loss of gate receipts, it seriously imp- impacts what you're doing. Um, I know speaking to a few people that they're looking at ne- at next year already, and everybody's saying that the budget's going to be forty percent less mm. because of of what they've lost through this COVID. So there's there's just so much arguing, so much uncertainty. Um, I think they know that it's not going to happen, but now everybody's just fighting tooth and nail to try and get what they could have had if if you know the season would have finished so it, it's really uncertain yeah I did, I did hear about some potential salary caps for next season um with a, a literal cap on what the squad sizes would be to try look at those financial situations which are now a problem and i guess Bridget, it's an opportunity cost <laughs> is it the the money that you're gonna have to spend on medical facilities on doing it without your gate receipts and all that or is it that giant carrot of that six million from promotion to the championship that you still think you might be able to touch but at the expense of all the others who cannot yeah. what is the future of this tier if 
either way. And I know you've expressed it as, as you know, two, three, four months ago that it could be quite dangerous and perilous it, depending on which decision goes which way. Oh, massively. It could have huge... Um, it, it could destroy a lot of clubs. We've seen um, Bury went out the Football League. It could destroy a lot of other clubs financially where they, they go into oblivion. But what I will say, Dave, there's, there's also a lot of people out there that are having... How do we say, you know, you have a bad flood and you, some people have a good flood businesses. There's people that are interested that hopefully there will be somebody out there that will pick up these clubs financially and, and be able to give them that bumper that they are after. Um, but I look down at the lower divisions. My mate is coaching Lee Pickton at South Shields. He's there with a guy, Graham Fenton, that played Vaston Villa. And they've, they've teamed up and had a real good push in the lower divisions over the last few years to try and become and get themselves into the football league and they've set up an academy and things. It's people like that that have invested a lot of their, I mean, they've put time and effort into coach. I'm thinking of the owners um, that have been back in these. They've had a vision and a dream for so many years. They're passionate football people. So they've invested their, their wealth to try and say, you know what it is, we want to play a major part in this region. It's not just Sunderland. We've got South Shields here. Let's try and get them as far as we can in the Football League. And it's people like that that I really feel for at this moment is time that have, you know, they feel like their dream is going to get shattered. And that could be financially devastating for them as well. So you, they've done so many good things for the region. They've given so many people opportunities. It's the lower teams in them divisions that are going to possibly see the pathways become a bit null and void over the next few years. Now that we're talking football, this has happened to everybody in life, in business yeah. around the world. Yeah, yeah. But as you think, how many, like, how many clubs do you think are in danger? And do you think that if the Premier League riches don't open up in a bit of a charitable way and help out, that the football leagues will lose clubs? They've got to. Yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 you look at, Obviously, the ones that have got, um, you know, big backers, big financial backers owned well, you know, will be safe. But the other ones that, that run as a, as a business perspective, if you like, where, you know, a lot of your, you know, you go to League Twos, League Ones, a lot of your revenue is obviously about your, your gates, your gate receipts, about your fans. And, and obviously, that's not happening. Um, so it's going to be tough. I, I think what's definitely going to happen is, you know, footballers are going to earn a lot less dough. I don't know. I don't know if you was there, Bridget. Was you there when that on digital stuff was there in England? That that TV like cable thing. Yes. It, it happened to me. Uh, I was at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, you know, earning earning good money at Sheffield Wednesday, and my contract ran out. And what had happened in England? The the on digital had come in, which which used to air all the League Two, League One. I think even the Championship games. And it was like a four-year deal. And I can't remember exact finances. Yeah, everyone was getting, I don't want to say, £2 million per year off the TV station. And all of a sudden, this TV station went bust. So everyone had already spent the money and everyone had always got loans on the back of this money. And then all of a sudden, this, this thing collapsed. And it was that summer when my contract was up. And all of a sudden, everybody had to cut the cloth. You know, they'd, they'd cut their squads down. Everyone who's out of contracts got, got, got renegotiated. And it probably impacted footballers in the lower leagues badly. Um, and I, I went, I probably lost maybe 60% of my money trying to find a new club. I, I was fortunate in the time that I'd gone from the championship. I signed for Northampton, uh, which was League Two. And the only reason I signed for them was because they were one of the only clubs that had a, a, a new um, owner that was going to spend a lot of money. I was training with Uddersfield at the time. Um, Uddersfield was League One, but a big club. Um, and, and this club, Northampton, offered me like double what Uddersfield did because they were the only ones that, that had a little bit of money. But all the, all the footballers in that area who was out of contract just got impacted by like big, big wage cuts. And I think that's just the same what's going to happen, well, obviously, now. It's going to... Gonna... Yeah, everyone's going to lose probably 50% of the money who's out of contract, I think. There's, from League Two to League One, there's 1,400 players that are out of contract um, this summer. And they're the ones that are going to get stung just by wage cuts. And that's just a sign of the times, really. That's a sign of the times. I, like I was saying to you, um, I think a few weeks back, Dave, what you've got to take into consideration as well, the players have got to come to some form of get into the mindset that they are going to have to take these wage cuts to help save the game. Because at the end of the day, there might not be a game in the lower leagues if, mm. if the players are going to get greedy and say, I'm not having this, I'm doing this. Because I know the NRL have had a big situation as well. We've talked about it, Ash, when you were saying they're going to hotels and things. 
the NRL players were still demanding, you know, their wages be paid in full and all this. And at the end of the day, this could be their last. This could be their last dance. Like oh, I'm using this snowy off Netflix. You know what I mean? If they don't come to the realization that you can't demand this money when you've got to try and save your code, and I know we've gone onto another code here. So well, that's where the players, you might not have a game where you're going to be able to make that kind of money. So you've, you've got to help the game back. And I think that's where a lot of, like I say, the, the biggest governing body in English football is the Premier League. I'd like, they've got to throw money back down to the lower divisions to keep, keep them afloat because that's their pathways. I'd like to think that they would do um, if they had that option. But also the players, like I said, you've got to come to some reality to realise that you're going to have to take setbacks for short gain you know, a bit of pain for the long-term gain for the game and for themselves and the people that are going to follow them. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of reporting doing the rounds that the Premier League clubs are aware of that responsibility, which is positive to hear. I've also read some reports. So you mentioned the vultures, Bridgie. There's always opportunists. And one of the ideas that has resurfaced is the idea of Premier League clubs having associations with lower tier clubs. So whether that's as a B team, whether that's as simple as they have four four players on loan there, yeah. as a rule, always four or even more. Um, which method would you prefer to see, Ash? Would you prefer to see just a financial support, or if a club is genuinely on the brink, that a Premier League club might align itself with it and almost create a, a, a sister brotherhood, sisterhood, cousinhood, whatever. Um, and keep them afloat in that way? Or is that just too much against sort of the communal kind of nature of the clubs down at that level? Yeah, I think I think the, the best would be financial support. Um, obviously, that's easier said than done. I think when you start talking about support clubs and, and, and feeder clubs, you, you know, you can start to manipulate the system a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, it, it can become almost like, you know, you help them out, they, they get promoted, blah, 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 you play your players. I think you, you, can, you can start opening a can of worms if you start looking at, at aligning clubs and then if you get them in a cup time burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you and with burrow you always get fast free shipping Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, Ash. You just take all your players back on loan and say you can't have them because you don't want them to beat you. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it can become like a game of chess, really, if you start doing stuff like that. Um, I'm not quite sure how, how it's going to work out. You know, the, the financial support, you know, you look at the Premier League, there's so much money there. The smaller clubs, like we've mentioned, you know, you look at clubs like, like I said, Lincoln, I think their their budget might be two and a half million. You look at Premier League players, they earn that anyway. Um, just one player can earn the whole budget of, of, you know, a League One club. So financial support really should be the way forward. Agree, Bridget. Do you think, and just to conclude this, um, particularly... If the season doesn't go ahead, is that a saviour for those lower league clubs? Or is that because of obviously they don't have to spend that money? Or is that almost a more difficult situation in terms of their futures? Like, I'm just trying to work out... I, do, I, I think if the, do the Premier Leagues, if they don't fulfil their obligations with the matches, they, they're going to miss out on their final payment. Is that right? That's why they're wanting to yeah. crack on because I think if they can get that final payment from the obviously your sponsors and your media coverage and things like that, they can do a lot of money to help. Obviously, they keep the Premier League and keep the, the things on there, but help out in the lower division. I think that's why their main focus is on getting the games out of the way in the Premier League and then see where we go from there. They need that final payment massively. I think it's um, a billion pounds they have to pay back if the Premier League doesn't finish. I think 700-odd million to Sky, 300-odd million to, to BT Sport, and, and obviously to pay that back. Because I, I think when it very first started, eight of the Premier League clubs applied to the league to say, cancel the league. Um, let's get it finished. And obviously, that with the bottom eight clubs. And then all of a sudden, they said, all right, then we'll, we'll finish the league, but we've got to pay a billion pounds back. So it's roughly 50 million per club. And then all of a sudden, the club's like, oh, no, no, let, let's finish it off. So that the money involved is is huge. I mean, I mean, people at the moment are sitting down trying to come up with safety nets and plan plan Bs and Cs, and 
one of the talks was how do you fill that gap? I think we mentioned about seven or eight weeks ago, Dave, was just transfers can only take place inside England. So the money is just getting generated through the English divisions. That yeah. is one way that they can try and fill. So there's no money going out overseas to other leagues. So that you know the, the, the big wigs are sitting down and trying to come up with ways that if the game doesn't finish, how do we fill that big black hole? And that was one of the, the big scenarios or the big, the big things that came out. So they'll, they'll have a lot of other ideas. Last one, just just on the, the human side of it, and uh, just say you are a, a Troy Deeney or a Golo Kante or a Raheem Sterling, someone that's spoken out about it, um, or even someone that's a little bit more that hasn't said anything that you know might be struggling internally. Can you just talk about your concerns at all, if you have any, about the fallout from players who are not comfortable coming back into their into their squads, not comfortable returning to training? Is it possible for that to be? Um, said, all right, free pass, no problem, we understand. Like, that's, that human complication is a whole layer that probably hasn't even been explored in enough detail. Well, I think if anybody takes a, a negative, let's say you didn't want to turn up for this, this podcast, Dave, and you said, listen, I've got things going, I've got a concern about this. If I said to you, well, I think you're an absolute disgrace or you're letting us down, then I'm in the wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's absolute bullshit. You've, if people have got concerns in their families... Then you've got to you've got to be allowed to say I don't want to take part because they have, I, I I should be in the UK now with my mother. She's about to have an operation tomorrow. I don't want to do that travel and I don't want to do that flight, and I don't want to do fourteen days isolation. The fact that I would potentially give her something when she's in a vulnerable state. So it's been hard for me to stay here for the last two weeks and, and deal with that situation when I know I should be there giving her my full support. So I can totally sympathise with the players that do not want to take part in case they have off the slightest little chance of being able to, like you say, spread and, and pass it on to somebody that is, is sincere, that is close to them. Mm. Yeah, I think it's um, obviously there's so many different cases. You, you'll have genuine cases like Bridget just spoke about one then. I think Troy Deeney, obviously, you know, we've, we've read the stuff, his, his concern about his son. Um, you know, he'll have genuine cases. But then you have the other footballers that are thinking, hang on a minute, I can sit at home here and get paid. For for nothing, um, so that you you never quite know um, who's t- who's telling the truth as well. Uh, but they'll they'll definitely, you know, we've all been in in football changing rooms where there's you know there's thirty players and there's always two or three that if they can do least amount of work they'll take that and and you you just don't know, do you, who's telling the truth? Well, we'll see. We'll see if it does resume. We'll see who those players exa- have exactly been when they turn up and they've been uh, having to show the fruits of their work in isolation for the last few months that's for sure hey let's talk uh, let's talk a bit of football uh, let's have a bit of fun now because that, that's the serious stuff out of the way but important too because um it's all part of understanding the lay of the land and what football is going to look like when we return but uh, we've talked a lot about promotion and relegation and the complications there and the costs involved we've spoken a lot about that in an australian context too recently about whether we need that in the a-league and, and i want to pick your two guys two brains on your experiences in that exact furnace, um, because what a situation it must be to play through. And as we're talking probably just over a, a 20 years ago, Ash, your anniversary of being in that um, exact situation with Bradford. Um, can you take us back? Everyone talks about the, the, the furnace of relegation, but when you've lived it, when you're in it, what is it like when you've sweated on the way up and then... You're in the Premier League and you're sweating the stakes the other way the next season. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I was quite lucky in, in my career, I suppose. Um, I think I had four promotions in total. Um, I actually got promoted from every league. I got promoted from League 2 to League 1 with Swindon and Northampton. I got promoted from League 1 to the Championship with Crew. And then obviously I got promoted with Bradford from the championship to the premiership. Um, and it, it kind of, it doesn't, doesn't really sink in. It's only when probably you look back and you get older that it actually sinks in. Um, when, you, when you're playing football and you're, and you're on the, the cusp of this wave, you just kind of ride it and, and you just, you know, go with the, um, you know, the, the celebrations when you get promoted and, you, and you, you, I got relegated once with Sheffield Wednesday um, and, and you just go with it and, and you don't really realise what's happened. Um, the Bradford one, 
because Stuart I went, McCall didn't know what happened when he fell off the car with a beer. Well, well that, that was the thing. We, we, we got promoted at Wolves, it was. Um, I actually got sent off the week before against QPR. Um, a dubious uh, headbutt that never was. I got sent off for the referee in stoppage like time. Like I said, Dave, he loves contact. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was more like a, a COVID contact. I never touched him. It was just <laughs> the referee just in stoppage time sent me off. So that cost me the, uh, the last game. But I remember going, um, it was Wolves away. So Wolves to Bradford is probably maximum a two-hour drive. And you sort of watch Drew McCall. So we obviously get promoted. I'll never forget the, the actual thing. We, I think we were winning 3-2 and we had to win to get promoted to get the automatic. And this was the last game of the season. And um, I think you can actually see this on YouTube. They got a free kick on the edge of the box. I think it was uh, Paul Simpson who used to play for Man City. I'm a, a Man City fan, so he I remember He was my gaffer at Carlisle. Similar, lovely left foot. So, so we, they get a free kick on the edge of the box. The so Wolves are playing for nothing. And as soon as they got the free kick, this is like a couple of minutes to go. I remember just because I, I was on the, on the, you could be on the bench in them days, even though you weren't sub because I was suspended. And I just remember everyone saying to him, don't you dare, don't you dare stick this in. You should play for nothing. We're going up here. We're going up here. And all the lads are saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Next thing he struck this free kick. It's hit the inside of the post. I think Gary Walsh was the goalkeeper. He's scrambling across. It's, it's trickled across the goal line. And Darren Moore was, was playing instead of me. I was suspended. And someone was about to tap it in and he just cleaned somebody out. It should have been a penalty and it weren't. And, and it ended up not being a goal because it's gone across the line. And the next 10, 10 minutes or five minutes, whatever was left, all our players were chasing around trying to kick Paul Simpson because he's trying to <laughs> score a goal to kill us from promotion. <laughs> and we ended up getting promoted, which was good. But then, like you say, Stuart McCall, we've only had two and a half hours drinking maximum because obviously champagne's in the dressing room. You're on the bus with the beers. Everyone's just slamming them down as quick as possible. And then we get back to Bradford, to the car park. There must have been 10,000 people in and around our ground, just obviously to, to celebrate us going up. And that's when Stuart McCall gets out with his beard on him and falls on the car. You can see that. <laughs> but he doesn't he spill a drop. <laughs> and that was, that was only two and a half hours drinking. So you can imagine how many he's drunk to be in that state. Dave, have you seen that footage, Dave? No, but I'm going to be looking it up on YouTube straight, oh, you, after, straight have, after. Have a look at Stuart McCall's fall. It's brilliant. He, he looks absolutely steamboated. And it was only about two hours. Brilliant. The best thing is he actually celebrates by keeping his beer. It's almost like he saved the golden ale when he looks at his can, but it's still there and he's, he holds it with joy. But it, it, it's a horror. It, obviously, off the back of that, Ash, did you, that year when you were doing the relegation, uh, when you went through it with Bradford, they, it's... It's incredible how the, the highs and the lows come, isn't it? Because I've, I've experienced exactly the same thing with you with Sunderland. Well, we, um, the, the next year, obviously, we got promoted. That year, then we stayed up in the Premier League. We, uh, we, were, we were shite, to be honest. Um, I think we stayed up with a record lowest points. I think 36 points, stayed, we stayed up in the Premier League. And I, I, it came on Optus, actually, the other day. And I was watching it. And it, it brings back loads of memories. I think we... We beat Liverpool on the last day of the season. Liverpool needed to beat us to get into the Champions League spot. We needed to beat them to stay up in the Premier League. But I think if we would have lost... and, and this Weatherall's header? Weatherall's header. I think that's the reason that Leeds, I think you was there, got into the Champions League. Because yeah, if, yeah. if we hadn't beat Liverpool, Liverpool would have got Champions League and you wouldn't have got in the Champions League. And that's what I remember because Weatherall used to be captain of, of Leeds at one point or played for them and they, they, he just went on to a whole new level because he gave us the yeah. extra points needed to get in there. Well, we, we, um, when I, got, I was only, I don't know, 22, 23, something like that. And when I, went, when I signed for Bradford, Bradford had finished fourth bottom of the championship. So when I signed from Crew, uh, they bought me from Crew, my contract to run out. So I went on a tribunal. But I, I remember my agent at the time, an agent called Paul Stretford, who ended up, uh, being Wayne Rooney's agent, he ended up um, just just doing Wayne Rooney all the time. Moved on to bigger and better things then. <laughs> well, I think um, I don't understand why he binned me and took Wayne Rooney. I just don't don't get it. You know, he could have earned a lot more money off me. <laughs> so he just took this random thing in my contract at Bradford, where if we got promoted to the Premier League, my contract doubled, so like a hundred percent rise. Um, so I ended up getting promoted to the Premier League. I've got 100% rise and I ended up being almost top paid at like 22, 23. But then on the last day of the season, if we got relegated, my wages went down. But I remember at the time, 
every year you get like a £20,000 rise, but that's obviously £40,000 as well. So that last game in the season when we beat Liverpool was worth probably 120% of my wages. So I was a snotty-nosed kid sat on the bench. <laughs> and I'm thinking, uh, I, I wasn't playing. I'm thinking, if we go down here, this is going to cost me unbelievable cash. <laughs> so when I look back at the footage in the dressing room, everyone's spraying champagne and I'm going berserk. And the reason I'm going berserk is because it's, it's going to make me a fortune. <laughs> and I just watch it all. I think Weatherall scores a goal. He's spraying the champagne in my face. And I'm just just sucking it all up, thinking this is unbelievable. <laughs> and it was because of the financial gains that it would have cost me or not cost me. So well, it's, it was, uh, it's incredible. You must have been one of the only, a few clubs that started doing the... Um... The, the wage reduction for teams that got taken out of the Premier League because a lot of teams fell under that. Sunderland did that massively with, yeah. the, with the relegation where they didn't have it in some of the players' contracts where they'd have a, a salary cap. And I think we've seen that on um, the Netflix document with Rodwell who was in Division, Division 1 and yeah. he's earning God knows what down there. He's still on Premier League wages. So that, 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 that must have been well before the time of, um, uh, to be fair, your, your board and directors. That's bang on. Yeah, I just think that they thought, we finished fourth bottom, you know, you can have, we're never going to get promoted anyway. We were never going to get promoted that year. Um, I think when we went into that Wolves game, Wolves were top six or something like that. Um, and I think we had lost every game from the top six clubs. We hadn't, but we'd beaten all the stuff underneath us. Um, and, and it was just an unthinkable story that Bradford would have got promoted. Uh, and then to stay up as well in the Premier League again. I remember, remember Rodney Marsh, he was, yeah. the, he was the commentator at Sky. I think he did his predictions at the season, said Bradford will never, ever stay up in the Premier League. I'll put, he said, I'll put my mortgage on it. He said, I'll tell you what, he said, if Bradford, get, uh, if Bradford stay up in the Premier League, I'll shave my head live on the, on the pitch. And that's what happened. I think the first game he of the next... Yeah, he had to come to the game and get his head, head shaved on the pitch because he, he made that prediction that Bradford would never stay up, and we did. Um. And, and looking back, I think I think Wimbledon went down. I think Derby went down. Was it Derby who went down? No, not Derby. Wimbledon definitely went down. I can't remember who else went down. Um, and Wimbledon was one of our last, but I think third from last game of the season. And I'll never forget it because um, they had John Artson. And at Bradford, it was the there was only one toilets. You didn't have toilets in your dressing room. That's how uh, how small the ground was. So you had to share toilets. And I remember John Dreyer who went out to go to the toilet and he come back and John Artson at, I think it was quarter past two, was fully stripped. No, earlier than that. Probably quarter past one was already stripped in the tunnel and he was just like going like this in the tunnel and John Artson goes, uh, John Dreyer come in and said, John Artson's in the tunnel there. He's going mad. He's, 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 he's balmy. He's going stupid. And as we lined up in the tunnel, John Artson walked out of his dressing room, just walked straight over to Stuart McCall, headbutted him and need him in the bollocks, just in the tunnel. And they all kicked off in the tunnel. This is before the game. The refs come running out their dressing room. Everything was going mayhem. And obviously, you can't get sent off in the tunnel. So the refs were thinking, <laughs> what, what's going on here? And I think after 20 or 30 minutes, we scored. Uh, and John Hartson went running over to the, the linesman, just going berserk. And then they just sent him off. I think they were just waiting to send him off because they knew he'd kicked off in the tunnel. And that was, that was the game that I think relegated Wimbledon kind of, in theory. Like, they, they probably could have beat us, maybe a better side than us, but because John Artson lost his head and got sent off, um, we, we ended up winning that game, and that gave us a little bit of lease of life. I think then we went up to, to Sunderland, and we beat Sunderland away, 1-0. I think Sunderland hadn't lost at home that year. They were maybe third or fourth in the league. Was you there then, Sunderland, or was you Leeds? No, no, I'd got, I was at Leeds, and I'd left. They had a cracking season. And the boys, like you talked about wages, the boys were on massive bonuses, um, whatever it was for to get a point in the league, and they had this unbelievable run in the league. So it's incredible what you were talking about there. Like you were, you were thinking of relegation. You, you're gonna, you're gonna fight for everything you can to keep that wage and them incentives going because relegation is horrendous for for you. The the thing with uh, the Sunderland documentary, Netflix. I keep going back to the one that we did, Ash, when we got promoted with Peter Reed, and that's on YouTube as well. If you want to get an insight or anybody listening and do how much relegation battle can affect you all mentally and physically and how many other people it affects. It's called Premier Passions and it's on YouTube. It'll be on YouTube. It's the, you know, the footage is horrendous when I look back because it's not, in, I'm going back to 96, 97. 
and it's just an in, in, interesting insight of how you've got to go through. Now, handle that as a young kid, uh, I found it very, very tough. But I was also looking for the guidance from the senior players, uh, and I didn't. I was still on my contract. I was on what, what I've been on, then 150 pound a week. But I was that didn't that, that wasn't a financial thing for me. It was just to see how it was affecting the other lads. If I'd have been the other way around and the Leeds thing getting relegated, then you think, oh, this is a financial situation. But it was just I couldn't handle the pressure of all the fans giving you grief. They were there to support you, but when you're walking off the pitch um, and there's about four or five games to go and you're getting hurled abuse at, you let you feel like you're letting all of them down. That's what I found mentally tough at a young age because they were, you know, you could get pelted. They were there to support you, but after the 90th minute, they've paid money. And it's their lives, and you used to get. We used to get pelted walking off, seeing how shit you were, and all this. It was that was hard for me to handle, and I bounced off people like Niall Quinn and David Kelly and them to look for advice. You mentioned, I mean, if you're looking at what you're talking about um, with your own personal wage situation, you can almost that's a really good context. But you, you balloon that to to the full team, the club, and you can see how we're in the situation we are right now with the stakes that are at play. But you mentioned that incident in the tunnel. Bridgie, you mentioned the fans. Ash, how hard is it to keep your head in that period? Like, you, you know, you, you always say you're in the moment and all that kind of stuff, but the tension, how much does it seep through when you're in that situation? Ah, it's, it's huge. I mean, I was, I was speaking to uh, Dean Windass the other day, to be honest. Um, uh, we we played a game against Derby. I think it ended up four four in in the Premier League. I actually give two penalties away. So when when you talk about contact again, <laughs> well, one was a joke. One I just headed it. The ref gave on ball. One was probably a pen. But the one that the first penalty was you, you, that this was there's maybe three or four games to go in the Premier League to stay up, and you 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 know it's like obviously your wages are going to get like cut in half. Um, you, you know you want to be in the Premier League. And you get that wound up for the game. Uh, that's the reason they ended up giving a penalty away because you, you're just desperate to to do anything, and and you're probably too too keen to to too make eager. a difference, too eager. Um, and and that's what happened. With, I think it was Malcolm Christie. I ended up chopping him in the box because you you just you're trying everything you can to to make sure they don't score, and you end up diving in, like sliding, and and giving a foul away that's a penalty. And and really, you just need a little bit of calmness. And it's only when you you get older or you become a coach that you, you start to realise that, you know, just relax, just just play your normal game, forget about what it means and, and just play your game. So you do you do put yourself under pressure and you do feel it. Um, you know, if you're going to get relegated, it, it's, it becomes like life or death, really. Um, well, and- I think Peter Reid didn't want to put me in that position, Ash, um, with being a young guy. I remember just sitting on the bench. I, I used to come on, get me appearances as a sub late on during the season and try and, you know, get results that we were losing or started a couple of games. But come the last four games of the season when the pressure was on, he I think he, he witnessed that as a gaffer in me without actually telling us. And he would just sit us on the bench. He would let us get me, me appearances in there, sitting and learn. But he would never put us on in vulnerable situations um, towards the end because he didn't... I think he, he could see that I wasn't handling it very well. Whereas some of the other players, the senior lads, he was wanting to rely on them. Yeah, I think that's the thing with... You know, you look at obviously Chelsea now with Frank Lampard playing younger players. You know, you go back to to maybe Mourinho when he's at Chelsea. You know, big big managers that they don't like playing younger players because they know there's mistakes in them. There's no there's eagerness in them. There's no there's like rash decisions, um, and and that's the reason why a lot of young players don't get a run. Um, so, you know, as you get older, you get more experience. You, you relax a little bit. You calm down. You make better decisions, and and that's probably you know, filters down to, to young players not getting a chance at times. As you mentioned, um, chopping players down and shadow headbutting them and, and, and whatnot. But in that, in that, in that little uh, period of time of yours, who was the, the striker or the opponent you either most relished playing against or hated playing against either because you had them in your pocket or, 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 or they had your measure, so to, so to speak. I used to, um, I, I was always quick to be honest. Um, you know, I, I you know, even going back as a kid, as like hundred meters, I would I would always always win hundred meter races at school and stuff. So everyone used to rave about Michael Owen, but I used to love those players, the quick ones, because that was up my street. Um, and I used to think I'm I'm quicker than you, blah blah blah, or whatever. But the ones that was difficult for me, that the, the hardest opponent I ever played against was Alan Shearer. Bridget will know him anyway from Newcastle, 
and it was because um, he stayed at golf. Well, I, I wish I would have played him at golf instead of football then, because um, he was really clever at, at bumping you before, like, it, say there's a goal kick all of a sudden. Before the keepers even kick the ball, Alan Shearer just, just bangs into you, and then he puts you off balance. Where I, I was always a, a leaper, so I used to, like, run and, and jump and, and try and head, but Shearer would always bang and body contact, pin you in the box. He was a tough boy as well, fairly quick. Um, but he was he was the cleverest at, at you know cheating if you like um, not not cheating because obviously but it was always a foul he'd, yeah he'd foul you all the time but you'd never get a foul because he'd do it before the ref even looks he was incredible at, at, at you know you know bending the rules if you like and and very competitive so for me he, he was the one that I would have the toughest time against where people would think oh geez I don't want to mark Michael Owen today I remember. Just going off off track. I remember playing at Sheffield Wednesday with Des Walker. Des Des was centre half for me, and um, we were playing. I think Birmingham, and they remember Andy Johnson. Was it Andy Johnson? The, the ball uh, guy. Yeah, he was. I think he was blonde at the time. He, was, he, was, he hadn't lost his hair yet. So this was Birmingham, and I'd played against him somewhere else. And I remember we we had an argument. Me and Des Des isn't shy of uh, like speaking out loud, and me neither. And I remember saying, Des, um, it's Andy Johnson. Be careful, mate. I said, uh, he's rapid him. I said, he'll, he'll do you. Just be careful. And he went, Des. <laughs> he's gone like that. He went, I've played against much quicker and much better. Because Des has obviously played for England. He'd, he'd been to Italy. And he, he couldn't tell Des anything. He knew everything. And I remember after five minutes, someone's knocked the ball down the channel. And Andy Johnson's absolutely blown Des Walker. Like got on the on, on the end of the ball. I think he ended up getting on it, struck the ball and hit the post. And I've looked over and went, Des, I told you. And he's it's fine. And it ended up in that game. We, me and him had a massive argument. And it was only because I'd warned him about Andy Johnson and he weren't having it. And he got his, he got his bum tore out by Andy Johnson. Well, Dave, this guy, this centre half, Des Walker, had you know, it was not many players had a chant like him and it was you'll never beat Des Walker and it was just he, he was unbelievable and actually I played against him in the Hong Kong Masters um, so last year or two years ago right. and he looked very very old compared to what I remember Des Walker and I thought I've got you here today mate I'm going to rip you I think he had about 10 years on us mate yeah. I think I've seen a clip of him uh, unbelievable long back. Still. I, clicked, I clicked with Dennis Wise I think I think they went to Indonesia doing something um, yes, and, he, and he looked really old. He, he reminded, he looked like Denzel out of all the fills and horses. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll tell you what, he still had it because yeah, I he's, didn't beat him. So he's, he's, a, he's a good lad, in but he was he was as fast as they came. But I remember Andy Johnson was, was quicker. Um, but he's got he's got a lad now, Des. I think. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Knox Forest. I think he's yeah. doing quite well. Centre forward. That's apparently a decent player. Hopefully he's got his dad's pace. That'll hold him in good stead. Gents, it's good to talk for a bit of football as well and reminisce as ever as we've been doing the last couple of weeks. I think in due course, Bridgie, we'll have a bit more football to talk about. But in, in light of that, in lieu of that, I should say, it's good to hear your, your, your stories, your yarns as always, gents. So thanks very much for your time as ever. And uh, Ash, good to see you again. Great to have you back on the Gagan Pod. Yeah, nice to be here, mate. Thanks for having us. Bridgie, you take care, mate. And uh, we'll, we'll speak to you soon. Looking forward to it, Dave. Good to see you. Stay safe, everybody, and um, bring on the football. Yeah, and everyone out there as ever, as I've been saying the last couple of weeks, until the next Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. <laughs>